where you'll learn what it takes to create your dream professional dance career. Join us as we dive into the insights and experiences of the world's top dance industry professionals, including dancers, choreographers, agents, casting directors, educators, and other dance industry experts. We explore a diverse range of topics, from personal development and mental skills to audition techniques, creating meaningful industry connections, social media marketing, seeking out dance agents and casting opportunities, on-the-job etiquette, talent unions, pitching to the media, health, finances, and so much more. Here is your host, Menina Fortunato. Welcome to the Business of Dance Talk. We have an exciting special guest that I cannot wait to bring on. She started dancing at the age of two in San Diego area. She is now teaching all over the world. She uh, moved to Arizona, Scottsdale, at the age of 12 to train at the Master Ballet Academy and then later danced at the Phoenix Ballet. A year later, her and her dance partner took home the gold medal at Varna IBC, representing the U.S. Being the youngest dancer to compete, she was awarded the Special Bounty Partnership Award. Her and her partner received a silver and gold medal at Nationals in New York City. She made her acting debut on Hallmark's A Nutcracker Christmas, where she played a ballerina. Uh, During her time, she filmed the movie. She was training and dancing at National Ballet of Canada. She's also had a clothing line with California Kisses Dancewear and a partnership with Capizio. She's appeared on Dancing with the Stars, So You Think You Can Dance, Disney Shake It Up, X Factor, Nickelodeon's Nikki, Ricky, Dickie, and Dawn. I can't even say that. America's Got Talent, The Ellen Show, Ricky Lake Show. She made her film debut in 2010 in the Shirley Temple story. She teaches for several conventions, art of movement, celebrity dance conventions, car conventions, break the floor, and many others. I personally have watched her dance from afar over the years. We're both featured in the same issue of Inside Dance Magazine. She was one of the presenters at Universal Dance Awards, which I produce at Universal Studios Hollywood. And she set the official Guinness World Record of 55 consecutive pirouettes at the age of 10. Let's give it up for Sofia Lucia. Hi guys. What an amazing welcome. You made me sound so cool. Thank you so much. You are so cool. Sophia, super excited to have you here. I know I've got some excited dancers in the room as well with us. So let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about how you got started in dance room like two and got a very, very early start and a very early success. So if you can kind of give in your words, how this whole dance life started for you. I come from a dance family. Both of my cousins own two different dance studios in San Diego. Now just one, but back then two. And my mom was a little bit of a dancer as well. So it was kind of just known from the second I was going to walk that I was going to dance. And I loved it. Yeah. I started dancing, I think earlier than two, honestly, I think just like as soon as I could walk, they would just shove me in the classes. Um, (laughs) And then it kind of just progressed from there. And I think that I started to like really love it when I started competing and I competed at four. Yeah, that's right. Four, four was my first I'm ever going on stage and I just loved it. And so I kept going and progressively got like my training got more aggressive from there, I guess you could say. And what style of dance did you start with when you were little, when you were four? Do you remember? Oh yeah. It's so embarrassing. It's on YouTube. There's two. I did two solos. I did, you did a solo a, at four. Yeah. And a duo. Wow. <laughs> I believe I had four. I think the first time I actually ever like performed, I was three and a half. 
and I was with like my triplet best friends and I was like the fourth sister, whatever you want to call it. And that's also on YouTube too. It's so scary. Um, and that was Kitchen Lollipop, which is so funny because then I did it as a solo the next year. And so yeah. it was tap dancing and singing and it was terrifying and it was terrible. Wow. <laughs> it's on YouTube. It's so bad. Um, and I, so, and I, so I sing so tap and, I and tap. singing, tap and singing. That's yes. That was my first debut. Solo. Yeah. And then I did jazz solo to Itsy Bitsy Spider. And that was that. So those were my two solos. So jazz tap were like the most prominent things as a kid. And then hip hop and contemporary and lyrical started being introduced, I believe, like around six, I want to say. Amazing. What age roughly were you transitioning out of competition dance? Because you you got in a very early start, even as a competitive dancer and then even as a professional. So mm-hmm. when did that transition happen and yeah. why? And then how did how did that all transpire? Quite interesting, actually. That decision wasn't really up to me. I would have loved to keep competing, I think. I don't know. I really did enjoy it for a long time. I believe after the Guinness World Record, things kind of got a little bit more difficult to compete just because I was already considered a professional age 10. By the time I was 12, when I went full ballet school and full ballet company, competitions had I could just compete under adjudication only as it was seen to not be fair to other kids if I was actually competing. So I believe age 12 or 13 was the age I like officially stopped competing and it wasn't by choice, but I went from there and then I did a lot of competitions that were just adjudication, just for feedback and just for stage time. And then I believe after 13, I was, I was done. That's amazing. And when did the teaching come in? Because that seems to be your focus now. Yeah. When did that, when did that creep in? I want to say 2020. Yeah. I want to say. Say 2020, that kind of happened. I think quarantine kind of put a lot of things in perspective for me. And I wasn't dancing before COVID. I had quit for a while. I was taking some time to myself for a very long time. And then quarantine happened and I was like wanting to get back into it. And there was nothing really to do besides take class online. And then I have my little goddaughter and cousin, her name's Zoe. And she had a bunch of turns in her solo for a competition that year and they didn't know what was happening. So my cousin was like, can you just teach her turn privates? And I remember posting videos of me just teaching her. And then that kind of launched like everyone be like, Oh, you're teaching now. Can you come teach there? Can you come teach here? And it started out with me only teaching technique. Like that's pretty much it. People really just wanted me to teach turns, which I totally understand. And I would have been like, that's all I would hire you for anyway um, <laughs> at the time. And then it kind of evolved into what it is now, which is with, I teach contemporary on conventions. Now I teach also technique on conventions. I've taught contemporary ballet on conventions. I've gone to teach a lot of different styles, uh, just within 2020, just from all the quick experience and also just all the experience I had as a kid, I think kind of shaped the teacher I am today. I think what's kind of cool as being a teacher now and being so young as a teacher is that I was trained in so many different styles that I'm able to teach so many different things, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is there a teacher you want to credit for your turning ability or did you just have a gift? Or I'm sure it's a combination of both. No, uh, my dance teacher, Miss Rachel, was just my everything growing up. She was my hero. Literally my second mom. We went everywhere together. We've been to six out of seven continents of the world together. Like we just, we've, we've been through it all. 
And she taught me how to turn. I wouldn't say how to turn. She taught me, she refined my turns. So she taught me technique and she built a turning method on my body called raft. And it is the method that I teach and that I use every day now. So what is raft an acronym? Does that stand for something or is that? Yeah. If I went into it, it would take me forever, but it's uh, (laughs) a baseline baseline of raft is um, rectangle arch focus and tightness. And so it was kind of a, it, it was our little thing. It was our little secret for a long time. And then when I started teaching, she was kind of like, go ahead. This is yours. Go ahead. You can do whatever you want with it. This is like, it was built on you. So, and she was just such an amazing human to have in my life and just so incredible and so intelligent. And I'm so lucky to have had a teacher like her really, truly. That's amazing. Well, I'm sure you've made her very proud to achieve what you've achieved at age 10 is just unreal. Like a, you're a superhuman. So clearly this, this raft technique that was uh, created upon you, it was effective. Very much so. it, it, it for <laughs> sure was. I always laugh and I say to my kids who are always tend to question the method. Sometimes I'm like, I am a product of the method. I promise you what works. Just be patient. Like I, I know what I'm doing when it comes to turns. I promise. I mean, it's always a joke that I have with them, but um, yeah, no raft is, is an incredible thing. And I think it's also something that makes me super unique as a teacher. And it is definitely a superpower of mine that I've had since I was six and I carry on till today as well. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, since you've achieved so much, so young, it seemed like you have touched on almost all different areas of the dance world. You've experienced the competition dance. You've experienced the ballet world. You've even experienced acting, commercial dance, teaching, film, TV, all of the things. And you're only, I mean, you're still young. Is there a particular industry that you like more than the other, favor more than the other? It's so, that's such an interesting question that you, that, that you asked that. I think they're all so different for so many different reasons. And it's just depends on like what you really, truly love. So for me, I was a kid and I'm still a human now to this day, like it's really bored really easily. So like once I do something once I can like kind of go like this and I'm done with it. I've made my piece. I've accomplished it. I can put it away. And I was like that as a kid. So for me, I went into that with that mentality of like the commercial world. So like, okay, I booked a tour. Okay, cool. I don't need to do that again. Booked a worldwide commercial. Okay. I don't need to do that again. Did this. Okay. That's fine. Which I don't think is normal. I don't think that's a normal mentality. I don't know, but that was just me. And so I think that's why you saw me shifting so much and just doing so many different things. Ballet world is really hard. It is not kind. It is very traditional. And it did a lot of damage to my mental health. Um, And I will say that, but it is the best I've ever danced. Like being in the ballet world, I was trained the best. And I was my, at my peak in the ballet world, I would say like as talent wise and, and as a dancer, I was the best I've ever been mental health wise, the worst. So those pros and cons kind of were there and I think if I had kept going in the ballet world, I don't, I don't know where I would be today where commercial dance world is great. And it definitely has changed a lot since I was a kid. So if you love hip hop and you love jazz and you love ballroom and you love to dance on national television and you want to be, you know, working with all these different artists, like that is the world that I would say that you should go into just because it is a lot of fun. You meet a lot of cool people you have to be really prepared with the word no. 
There's so many no's before there's yeses. And so that's something that I definitely had to get really good at hearing was no. (laughs) And yeah, I think with COVID though, it really did change. Like the commercial world changed a lot in the sense of there's not as many auditions. A lot of things are more directly booked off of like Instagram or just word to mouth or who you know. So commercial world for me has gotten even like even smaller to be a part of. And so it just really, it really depends on, on what kind of styles of dance that you like. If you like more of a contemporary modern ballet and you like training from 8am to 8pm every day, then ballet would, I would say is for you. And there was a time where that made me super happy because that kind of routine is all I ever knew. And then if you don't really like knowing what you're doing and you kind of like going by the seat of your pants and just, you know, taking every day, each day differently, that's fine. That's commercial world for you. And that's totally what is cool. I personally didn't really enjoy commercial world very much. I much prefer the ballet world setting without the ballet world mentality. I don't know if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. but that's how I would describe it. It's just, they're so polarizing in the sense of how different they are. And I would say the contemporary world, like the convention world is so different as well. So it just depends on where you go. I don't really know how to answer that question because they're all so different. No, those are interesting perspectives. Now for you, do you have a favorite of all the different worlds that you've tapped into? I think what I'm doing now is definitely my favorite thing that I've done so far. I feel very satisfied and yeah, I feel very fulfilled and very content with where I'm at. I grew up going to dance conventions and I've always loved them. I thought they were so fun. And so now doing like a full 180 and being like a part of it and being a teacher and being on staff and getting to see those kids having the same fun that I did when I was younger is so awesome. And, you know, I love to travel. So it it definitely does that. You get to travel to really cool places every single weekend. And I, I really do enjoy like the contemporary art form a lot more than anything else. I think there's a lot of different things that can be explored with it. There's also a lot of different types of contemporary versus like not versus there's a lot of different contemporary inside contemporary, if that makes sense. It's not just like slow, sometimes slow, just movements where it's just like more modern based. Mm -hmm. There's so many different layers to it, which I think is really fun to explore and convention two, you're getting kind of the best of both worlds. You're getting the hip hops, you're getting the jazz, you're getting the tap, you're getting, you know what I mean? So it's not so like black and white where ballet is like, it's strictly all ballet and there's really nothing else to it. Um, There's contemporary ballet and neoclassical ballet, but that is so not important in the scheme of things. Like everything is very classical. You're doing the same variations that have been done for, you know, centuries. (laughs) Yeah. Centuries. And so there's not much changes to it. And I, I definitely always like to put my like personal flair on things. And I think that's very evident when you watch my choreography or if you watch just me dance and ballet is something that's really hard because you're, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it to look like the original. And so you can't put whole, your flavor and your seasoning on it. It has to be a cookie cutter. Exactly. The way it was mm-hmm. originally created. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I, um, I went to Verna IBC, which is like the, for people who don't know what it is, it's like the oldest, most prestigious ballet competition of all time. Happens every two years in Bulgaria. And uh, we did Don, Don Q as our second round because there's three rounds and you have to get, they make cuts each round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't think we were going to make it past round one. So round one was like our solid, our solid variation, our solid part of this. So I was like, fine. Round two, Don Q. And Don Q is very like, 
more characterized than anything else. Um, and so was Black Swan, which was our round three. And they gave me those roles because I was always really like <laughs> wanting to take everything a little too far with like performance and like flair that you can't do normally. Mm. And so I'm sure anyone who has been training in ballet school for like since the, the day they were born, not like me who just jumped in at like age 12, you can probably watch my variations and be like, wait, hold on. That's not, that's not, <laughs> that's, not the that's probably, yeah. And so, yeah. So I think that's just, um, there's so many possibilities with everything. And I just think ballet is really beautiful, but they're also stuck in their ways. They're not changing. So mm-hmm. it just depends on what you really like. You mentioned you love the structure and the training schedules and all that that came with the ballet world, but the mentality is really what dragged you down. What in the mentality would you like to see shift in the ballet world that could make it perhaps more enjoyable for a dancer like you that enjoyed the training but got sucked down by the Mm -hmm. mentality? What would you like to see change? I think a lot of it is, like I said, like they're a very traditional view. So no matter how much you see it preached on social media, that body image stuff has changed. Um, In the ballet world, it has not, I can assure you. Mm. I dealt with a lot of eating disorders as well. I was in ballet school, was basically called the fat one at competitions. Like that's how I was referred to. Like people didn't know who I was in ballet world. So whenever I scored high, I was known as the big one or the fat one. Like that's how they would refer to me when they were judging me. Wow. And it's also a very small world. So whatever they were saying about me got back. So I would hear it and be like, oh, okay. Um, And if you look at me, I definitely, I was, I was really tiny. And so it kind of just messed with my mental health. And I also had a ballet teacher who wasn't the nicest to me verbally. Mm. Yeah, there was so many things. I think eating disorders were really pushed on to us in the sense of like, if we were weighed over a hundred pounds, we weren't going to get lifted overhead in, in partnering class. It didn't matter what height we were, but if we were over a hundred wow. pounds that day, we were not being lifted overhead. And you know, you're young and you're like, oh, he's cute. I had to partner with him, but I'm too big for him. And that, that, like that messes with your head for sure. And just things that I thought were normal in my own life, like in my ballet world's life, I guess you could say when I was living there are just so not like looking back now. And I think the way that I was spoken to and just treated in the ballet world as a whole, just like how my, my ballet teachers were towards me, like just, you know, smacking your butts in and out of classes to make sure that they weren't jiggly or, you know, getting caught eating a Kit Kat and then and being able to only eat 500 calories for the next week, you know, having like an alarm on my pantry, like things that were crazy. Wow. Yeah. But that was my normal. So that was, that was what I, all I knew. There was no awareness of how toxic this is to young growing girls. Like no, no education no. on this, even like, no, did they even know right. that they were creating eating disorders amongst their own? It's dancers? just the norm. That's just the norm in the ballet world. Like if you didn't have one, it was like, oh my God, how are you so healthy? Like, can I, can you teach me your ways? Like, it's just, like I said, it's just really, it's really dark. And I was warned. I was warned by, I was warned by her because she was a professional ballerina before she um, started teaching. And she was like, please don't go. Please don't make the same mistakes I did. I don't want you to go through the same things that I went through. And everything that she told me that happened to her happened to me within a year. So yeah. And I think it's really glamorized, like, especially with like ballet core being such a, like uh, an amazing fashion trend right now everyone's like, oh, I should try ballet and then da-da-da and da-da-da. But like, 
yeah, it was, it was brutal. Like I was measured all the time. I was weighed all the time. It was definitely really hard. And I was already really, I was a really tough kid. Like I was raised off of tough love and I was always used to hearing the nose and like, that's not good enough. Do it again, do that, whatever. But then ballet was so different in the sense of it wasn't necessarily criticizing my talent. It was criticizing like my whole being. So it kind of just did a, it was really interesting to be in that environment for so long and to not have anyone be like, yeah, this is not, this is not okay. And they would just see it, but it wasn't necessarily like weird to them. It was just like, oh, this is how ballet goes. And if you're not strong enough, you're not strong enough. Is this spoken about openly? Like, oh yeah, you have an Indian disorder, no big deal. Or is it just the, the known, everybody is aware of it, but nobody speaks on, uh, speaks about it. I think everyone thrown under the rug, hundred percent. Wow. I was told by one of the ballet boys and this was like a known thing because they all knew that I struggled with my weight and just eating in general because I ate like a normal person. <laughs> like a growing teenager. <laughs> what a shocker. Yeah. yeah. I remember my one of the boys at the school had said to me, he's like, well, why don't you just chew and spit? That's what I do when I want to lose weight. So he wasn't like ever swallowing his food. And I remember being like, oh, my God, this, this is so bad. But this is I remember at the time being like, that's so genius. Like, and that was my thought. Yeah. Wow. Um, And like, there's just jokes of like, to a 12 year old, like my ballet teacher used to tell me all the time. I think I was 13. And he's like, well, if the diet's not working, there's always cigarettes. Or if the diet's not working, there's always the two fingers. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, yeah. Like it's. Teachers are telling this to teenagers? Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is like every ballet school in America, but it was just the one I went well, to. Well, I mean, I, I've heard of those stories. I mean, in past, like yeah. my generation and older, I didn't mm-hmm. know that they were still doing this. I thought there was enough awareness and education no. now to know that this no. is not healthy and I that's think, detrimental to, uh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's still going on. Cause you're, it, I mean, oh. I, that happened about seven, seven years ago now, but like, if that's, we, that's recent that's still very recent very true yeah it took me a long time to like get over that yeah I it took me like three years of therapy to just even like have a normal like I still don't I don't think I have a normal relationship with food now it's still very strange but it's way better but it's not even close to what it was but I think what happens is and this is why I don't think it's changed and I, I, I mean, like I could say the same thing about commercial dance or TV and film. Like when I went to go do the movie for Hallmark, I was, the, you get weighed before the production starts. They do a physical, like those type of things. Mm-hmm. And I remember the producer saying to my mom, not even to me, but to my mom and my mom was on speakerphone being like, well, you know, the camera adds 10 pounds. So she should probably drop another five before we start filming. And I was 13. And wow. that's just, that's just normal. Cause I was playing a ballerina. So I guess like play the part, but like, again, like TV and film, that's still very prominent too. And I yes, it is a little bit more inviting. That. And I love food and I love to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've it never was... been weighed for a job that maybe like say, Oh, you need to lose X amount. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was like a really prominent thing in my whole life. And so I think people kind of were like, she fell off the face of the earth for a few years and I don't know why. No, you like, need she to just take care of yourself. And- yeah. She just like, I quit. And it was like a whole thing. I remember like overnight I had lost like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers. Not that that matters, but like, I remember as a 14 year old being like, they don't like me anymore. Cause I'm not Aww. dancing. 
<laughs> and I remember everyone was kind of just like, mm, she quit. All right. Well, she hit her peak and that she's a husband now. And they kind of pushed me to the side. I remember thinking like, I'm not doing this because I like, I don't like dance. It's just, I, I have to, otherwise I won't, I won't be okay. You know, yeah, for, for the longevity um, of your dance life, you needed that time out for sure. For, for sure. But I think it's interesting. Um, so yeah, when people ask me about the ballet world, I have, it's so hard because I have so many things to say that are, are positive, but mm-hmm. my overall experience was really negative. So it's just hard. No, I mean, I appreciate you speaking openly about it. And I think it's important that we, and that's the one thing I want to really expose these dancers to is the real of the, of the dance world. And we always see the lights, camera action that, you know, the Instagram, everything's perfect on the outside, but there is, there is some harsh realities that we all need to bring awareness to. So I, I appreciate your candidness and openness. Let's shift gears a little bit on the positive side. Do you have a favorite dance gig or dance experience or like a highlight in your dance life? That hundred percent. I do for sure. I have so many, but dancing with the stars, I did a few episodes for them back in 2013 and they were so fun. Like it was by far the most fun job I've ever had in my whole life. They're so positive. Um, the whole cast and crew was really fun to work with. Not even just like the cast, but I'm just talking like behind the scenes crew were just so sweet and so nice. Hair and makeup team was fantastic as well. And I remember just like not wanting to not be on the show. Like I was like, please have me all the time. And there were one of the, I don't know, they're just such a fun job. And I remember having a lot of jobs like that. Like Disney Shake It Up was really fun as well. Working on Nickelodeon was always so fun. You were always working with the the coolest choreographers and the most fun kids as well. And let me think. The movie I did, although I told a different story, but like that, the movie that I did, I lived in Toronto. So they flew me out to Canada, moved there for a, quite a bit. And it was the coolest thing ever. I thought I was like, so like the coolest person. I remember like waking up every day and, and being like, am I in Canada right now? Like, this is crazy. And I just like love the whole, like, behind the scenes of tv and film like how movies and tv shows are made are so fun to be around and it's a lot of hurry up and wait however mm-hmm. there's so many things that you get to learn and there's so many different moving parts to it and everyone is always really really fun to work with i think in tv and film in general some of my bestest friends i met at dance competitions and then we were kind of like the group that auditioned together and we went to mm-hmm. every single audition and there was like a group of like, I would say five or six of us that just booked everything together. So we were always together on all these jobs. And I think a lot of my favorite memories of like working in the industry have been with, with those kids that I met at dance competition because we just get to carry on together. And yeah, jobs are super fun because I would say TV and film jobs are super fun because you get to learn so much and it's just a little more lighthearted. You know what I mean? And I also like it better than live TV because live TV is so much pressure where you're like, you only get like one shot and TV and film, you get to do it so many more times. And it's also really different because you have a camera that's very close to your face. So mm-hmm. performance is way less than like, say your average dance competition. You don't have to give as much because the camera's right there. And so mm-hmm. it's a little more subtle, especially in your movements too. You can't travel as much and there's certain things that you can't do which makes it really fun because it's so different. You have to approach it so differently than like you would at a performance. No, hundred percent. And when you're projecting to thousands of people, you have to project outwards. But when there's a camera in your face, like the subtlest wink or a nudge is mm-hmm. captured and you don't have to be so extravagant. 
Um, yeah, totally agree with you. Now, as uh, as a competitive dancer, was there anything that you wish you knew when you were younger that mm. you know now? Hundred percent. I think sometimes in competition dance, which how many of you on the Zoom compete? Can I ask? Raise your hand. Raise your okay. hand. Okay, a good amount of you. Awesome. I think sometimes dance competition feels like it's the most important thing on planet earth and everything feels like really stressful. I just sometimes wish I would remember during the day that everything in dance is super subjective. So you have like three judges, that's three judges opinions and they're just opinions. You know what I mean? And so if those three judges don't love your solo that day, they might like it in a week or other three judges might love it. And so it's not as permanent and it's not as in, as life or death as it may seem. Cause I think sometimes when we get to those awards and they kind of build it up, you're like always just waiting and waiting, waiting. And if you don't get the result you want, you're just so crushed. And I remember feeling that way a lot as a kid. And I think it's really important to know that you should be there to have so much fun and to get the feedback, but not for the win. That's something I wish I knew. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how happy I am to hear that. I literally just had this conversation this weekend with okay. a dance mom. And I'm not going to call out the dancer, but the dancer is on the live right now. Okay. And I cannot reiterate how happy I am that you said that because the win is not the trophy. It's not yeah. the placement. It's not the gold, silver, platinum, double, ruby, diamond. I can't even keep track of the board. Yeah, I know. They're now. so crazy nowadays. I None swear. of it matters at the end of the day, especially if you want to pursue a career in dance. 100%. Nobody's going to care about that win, except for you, maybe. But making the friendships, like you said, when you were competing with those kids, those are the kids you ended up working with. Those yep. relationships that you meet in convention class could very well be the pertinent person you're going to be working on set with in 10 years. One of them, maybe the next big choreographer, agent, producer, casting director. Those mm-hmm. relationships are far more valuable than that piece of plastic. hundred percent. And I think it's, I know, I know when you're in that situation, it feels so, so, so hard. It's like almost like, I don't know how to put this in the right way. But it's very like it pulls you. It's both sides. Like I get it. I get it from I want to win. And I also get it from I just want to have fun. Like there's two ends of it. And you have to have a really good balance because if you don't care enough, then, well, that's not going to benefit you in the future because we want you to do your best. But if you care only about winning, then it takes up the joy of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like really hard to find that balance. And I know as a teenager, teenager as well, it's super difficult. But Yeah, I think that's why I like working on conventions so much because I remember being in those rooms and meeting all of my friends. And now I'm like getting to watch them teach on different conventions as well, or Mm -hmm. just like absolutely killing it and doing everything in the world. For instance, like Sean Liu, I grew up with Sean Liu. Do you guys know who that is? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. Dancers. So, okay. If you should go home and like look him up. I think that he is probably the most talented dancer of my generation. And I remember watching him from the time that we met when we were like seven. And so seeing that has been really crazy. And also to name another few, like I grew up competing against Anna Miller and I know her very well now and we train together still, you know what I mean? And so the relationships that you meet and the like your competitors 
don't always have to be your competitors. They can become your friends as well. And you can kind of grow with that. Cause I know all of the people that I used to compete against, I work with on a daily or I speak to daily. And I think that's probably like my favorite thing about my childhood was the fact that I'm working with every single human that I've ever met since I was younger. So like, for instance, on Art of Movement, which is the convention I'm currently touring on right now, the owner has met me since I was four. Um, is that Robert, Robert Prescott Lee's convention? Robert Prescott Lee uh, used to own it, yes. Uh, oh, Robert he sold has, it? Yes, he sold it to Mikey. But um, Robert oh, Prescott. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Rob and I are very close. I love him a lot and I owe a lot to him. He's phenomenal, phenomenal guy. And his wife and his kids are so sweet too. But Rob brought me on last year before the transition. And yeah, we used so to I've dance done... together back in the day. So we go way back. That's so funny. He's I got I got so him cool. his very first judging and teaching job uh, when he oh, was like 20. And he was my dance partner when we did the Pepsi campaign with Britney Spears. No way. So when you were probably zero. When What year were you no. born? 2002. <laughs> no, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. No, I just loved him so much. And I'm so He's grateful great. to him. He's known me since I was four. You know what I mean? And another staff member, his name is Moses, has known me since I was seven. And I watched him grow up and go to convention with him. He's way old. He's a little older than me, but I watched him forever and we were friends and I've danced with him in the past. And so now we're coworkers, you know what I mean? So it's just so cool. It's really cool to see where dance can take you. I met my boyfriend through dance too. We live together now. Like things are just crazy. Like the world is really small and you can meet so many amazing people. And so even if you're having a bad day at a convention or if you're having a hard time, like don't hang around people that you know, go meet new people. Cause I think that was something that I always did as a kid. I was always really outgoing and my mom always pushed me to stand by kids. I didn't know because mm. she wanted me to pay attention. <laughs> and talk to the kids that you didn't know. Yeah. And then me just being me would just talk to everyone. And that's just how I met all the cool people in my life. And so I think sometimes we forget that it's about the connections and the fun and the experiences that we have versus the titles and the awards and all that kind of stuff. And I think, I think that we've gotten better at that recently, but it definitely has become like, it was really competitive growing up, but I know that it's still really competitive now. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to be the best dancer in the room, but that's also not the most important thing. What you take away from that experience and what you learn mm -hmm. is so much more than, you know, getting called out in that one specific class or getting that scholarship for that weekend because you can always try again. Yep. I agree with you 100%. It's about the learning. It's about the growing. It's yeah. about the relationships. All of that matters way more than a score. I mean, a score, like it's not yeah. even... It's so oh subjective. Gosh. It's so subjective between three or four judges, depending on where you compete, you know, mm -hmm. different day, different judges, different results. Yeah. So the results do not define your talent at the end of the day. The other thing too, yeah. is talent I say is like 20% of this business. 80% really is, is every, everything else. Yeah. It puts too much emphasis, especially as competitive dancers on that 20% and yep. forgetting that there's still a whole other chunk that matters, like the relationships, the growth, the learning, the fun, the enjoyment. I mean, why do we dance? Because we love it at the end of the yeah. day. And no, don't sure. beat yourself up <laughs> competing to where you stress yourself out and don't even enjoy it anymore. What's the point? No, um, for sure. And I think, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the connection part is so important. Like if you want to be a professional dancer now more than ever, who, you know, is so important. 
and I don't say that lightly, is just because of COVID. Like everything is pretty much a direct book now and off of Insta, like and auditions aren't normally a thing unless it's in a whole, it's a whole different process now since COVID. It's a lot no, more video submissions too. It's, it's very true. One of our dancers yeah. here, I don't know if she's online, is Kiana around? She is here. Yes. Kiana, I'll just spotlight her for a second. Kiana got direct booked because of a chat like this. We had mm-hmm. Inola Bedal. I don't know if you know her from Montreal originally, but in LA. And she's uh, she choreographed Shania Twain's music video. She reached out to me. She's like, hey, any of your dancers want to be an extra in the video? I already have my dancers. She was the only crazy one willing to fly to LA to be an extra. But then things change. She's like, well, I lost one of my dancers. Does she want to be a principal dancer instead? But I need yeah. rehearsals the next day at 11 o'clock. Can you send me your Instagram? She had her headshot resume, demo reel ready to go. And all she looked yeah. at was her Instagram. She looked at it for five minutes, sent me a text message. Great. She booked a yeah. rehearsal the next day. And that's exactly how it happened. No it's, audition. So- she doesn't even have an agent yet. I know it's so cra- <laughs> it's so it's so crazy now though you know, so it's really important like who you know and who you surround yourself with is so important because if you're not surrounded by good people either like trust me I understand this because I've had the good people and I've had the bad people good people make your life so much better like I remember like my most fun times in dance have been with the people I've loved like the most like my dance teacher Miss Rachel like my dance teacher Miss Tiffany those experiences I've had with them and the the relationship I've created with my dance teachers even have been the most special about anything I've ever done. Like I would put that, my relationship with them above my movie. I would put that above the Guinness record. And so I think sometimes we think like these crazy things are what's going to make us happy, but don't get lost along the way. Like make sure that you always stay grounded and make sure that you always think where you came from. Cause it's, it's, it's a good, good place to be when you're with the people that you love. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to open it up. Wow. Time just flew by. We only have less than 20 minutes left. So for the dancers here on the business of dance, if you have a question, raise your hand. All right, Bella, I'm going to spotlight you. Hi. What is your question? So I wanted to know, I know you talked about why you like stopped competing. And like, since it was kind of like, it just happened, like you didn't choose to do it. It just happened. But like, what was like the end point for you for like the ballet and then going like transitioning from the ballet academy or whatever to more commercial and teaching and stuff like that? Like what was, what was the so, change? Funny enough, I started with commercial. So I started doing yeah. commercial dance when I was seven, actually six. My very first job, like my first SAG job, I think was uh, when I was seven, I played Shirley Temple in a Fox Legacy movie. And then I started doing like a lot of Disney Channel gigs from there, which was a lot of auditions and all the auditions were hip hop. Um, yeah. The top jazz girl doing hip hop. And like my mom, my mom was always so strategic with my auditions. I think this is so funny, but she used to put me in the same outfit for every single audition. And I was wearing like the craziest outfit of all time. And she would put me in jazz shoes. So I'd always, always go and do my thing, even if it was a hip hop audition, because what made me special made me special. Mm. and funny enough I was part of a thing called unity dance and with that is Sandra Chavez's company or used to be I don't know if it is still and then there was one in San Diego which is where I grew up and Sandra started working in the, in the industry slash pulse so I started going to pulse to take our class and then I started going into Brian Freeman's class and Brian booked me for like my first five jobs wow <laughs> so, yeah. So that's just kind of how the the cycle went for my commercial job. So again, commercial dance started off really young. 
I stopped commercial dance like altogether. Wasn't doing it when I moved to Arizona. And I moved to Arizona when I was 12. And then I guess how this is kind of confusing because that was a direct book for my movie. I never acted before on as a starring role. I did like guest star roles on Disney and Nick, but I never had like second booking in a TV show or a film. I didn't put myself on tape. I didn't do anything. They It was a direct book. And that's how I went back into that world. My plan was never to do that. My plan was to go to NDT, which is a, a contemporary ballet company in Amsterdam. And that wow. was like my goal. That was my dream. And after I uh, had won Varna, I had got offers from La Scala in Italy and a place in Monte Carlo and then um, the Kremlin Ballet in Russia. And so I was kind of like thinking if I was going to move to country, like different countries and stuff like that. But I was 13 and I had just moved states without my parents. So I was like, I'm not ready. So then the movie came along and I was like, all right, I'm going to go full force into this. So then I went back into commercial, which honestly saved me at the time, just mentally. And I did that movie and I was like, all right, I really like this now. I'm enjoying it. Let's go back to this. And that's when I quit ballet and I was going back into commercial. So that's when you... I don't know if you ever kept up with me as I was younger, you would see me go to a lot of like, that's when influencers started becoming a thing. So I was like at the launch of TikTok, I was like musically and then launched into TikTok. I was doing a lot of like weird stuff that I had never done before that was considered commercial. And I just wasn't enjoying it to say the least. I I, I enjoyed it for the hot minute that was like the press tour of A Nutcracker Christmas. And then after that was done, I had realized, and this is this is interesting, and I, I don't think this is what everyone's opinion is, and I definitely had my moment where I didn't think this at all, but I think it came to the point that I got a little like heavy and hot heavy in my head, and I was like, I want to be the star. I don't want to be behind the star. So that was like the idea that I had, and so I wanted to go full force acting, and so I didn't want a background anymore. I didn't want to be in the background of the music videos. I felt like I'd already did that which was the worst decision of my life because I really did enjoy working those dance jobs. And so after I kind of calmed down and had to come to Jesus with myself, I guess you could say, I decided that I was going to go back into like just training. Like I just wanted to pour more time into training because if my training was stronger and I was more versatile, then I would be more bookable. That was my idea. And so that's kind of how that transition happened. I wouldn't say that it happened organically, it was very strategic in the sense of like managers wanted me to do this or agency wanted me to do this. And then I did like I full 180 and I was just like, no, I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> so again, my relationship with it has been really funky, which I'm sure is not your usual answer to the people who come on here and, and, who, and to speak to you guys. Like I have had a really big love-hate relationship with commercial dance. I've had a really big love-hate relationship with competition and also ballet. So it, it, it's so interesting because it's something that I'll always, I definitely will always go back to, but I don't know if that transition will be soon. We'll see. I don't know if I even answered your question. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Bella. Hi, Willow. I see you. You can unmute yourself and you can ask. So in the beginning, she talked about you having like your dance line. And uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know like how and like why you started it. Oh my gosh, California Kisses. Well, I was the face of the company, so I didn't own it. And they actually own a bathing suit company called uh, Beach Bunny. Have you ever heard of it? No, it's okay. Anyway, their bikinis are really cute. The owners had a daughter who danced and she was a big fan of mine. And so that's when they got the idea for California Kisses. 
or the dancewear. And so they said, oh, well, we'll just make Sophia the face of the company and we'll let her design some of like her own line. And so that contract, I was in contract with them for about four or five years. So I did that for quite some time and we opened up stores and it was really cool. Again, it, it, I was so young. Nothing was ever necessarily like, do you want to do this? It was kind of like my mom and I would chat about it. And then my mom would make the, the best decision. And so I'm kind of glad that my mom pushed me to do it because it was definitely something that was very eye-opening, especially now as a grown adult, like I have that experience in quote unquote fashion. And it was definitely really cool to be in that environment and to be able to pick out the fabrics and to see all the kids in the clothes. And if fashion is something that you're interested in, like it's, it is a really cool thing. And I believe that dance like dance lines aren't as popular as they were back in like 2013 to 14 to 15. Like, I think you guys got like five dance wear and then something else. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. It was really cool. I got to design things and I got to pick up fabrics. They were always really crazy. If you noticed, like they were always like sequence and then like a flower print and then like it was just wild. <laughs> so I, if I had a costume line now or a dance wear line now, it would be so different. It would probably only be like black and brown because that's all I wear. <laughs> simple, um, simple. Yeah, no more flashy. Like, it would be like Kim Kardashian's uh, color skin or whatever, <laughs> like Skims, Skims dancewear. Yeah, yeah, that would literally just be it. But yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Willow. All right, let's do Ashlyn. Hi, thank you so much for sharing your journey and especially with your openness in like about the ballet world. Um, I was kind of wondering, like after going through something like that, like what kept you motivated and like, would you have like any advice like after going through something like that? You know, what's so funny is I don't think I was motivated during that time. I think that I was really having a hard time just being a teenager already. And then on top of that, dealing with these really dark subjects that probably weren't being dealt with correctly. So what I would say to anyone who's going through that like asking my friends for help who are also going through the same thing was really awesome because I was like, Oh, you go through that. Like you, you have that same thought too. Okay. What do you do about it? And we would always have these like healthy conversations going to my mom was like a really hard thing to do to tell her Mm -hmm. what's kind of going on. And I think as soon as I did, it was really scary, but then she got me the help that I needed. And I was really thankful for her for doing that therapy this is gonna sound so cheesy and I'm so sorry but like therapy really truly helped therapy kind of gave me a little bit of different tools and stuff so I started like journaling actually I didn't journal because I couldn't do it but I would write poetry poetry ended up turning into okay let's make a song which was my worst decision ever so don't go listen to the song but um you wrote um, a song <laughs> I did and I made awesome. it and it was on it was on Radio Disney and I thought it was really cool at the oh time. really I don't, what's the song called you don't want to share you know we're gonna no. look it up after this right it was a it was a dark time but anyway no so I started like coping in different ways like writing poetry and then you know I was homeschooled my whole life and I just had never felt like normal I don't know if that makes sense but I, I just had never felt like I did anything normal I felt I was like really weird no one really understood me And so my parents put me back into high school for one year. And so I went to like normal high school for a year, which was so polarizing from a normal life. And I had like these like normal childhood experiences that I never had. And so I think that somewhere in there, I got motivated to start doing the things I love again, because I realized how much I wasn't meant to be your quote unquote normal kid. 
So I don't know if that helps you at all or if that answered your question, but that's kind of what happened. Yes, it does. Thank you so much. Victoria, go ahead. What's your question? Thank you so much for, yeah, I guess what Ashlyn said, sharing so much about the ballet world. I had checked your Instagram out a little bit beforehand, and I noticed there's a lot of like teaching moments that you have, and Mm -hmm. it sounds like that's mainly what you do right now. I was kind of curious about that and like how, like, do you kind of always have like a videographer there or do you just every once in a while, like set up a camera and stuff like that? I was curious about like (laughs) how you get some of those moments and like so that you can share them. Oh my gosh. This is so funny and so awkward. I wish, I wish with my whole heart that I had a videographer come to my classes. And so I could have like high quality content mixed in with like the craziness that is me. Like my kids and I, we have a really special relationship. I will say this, I have a really, really good relationship with my students, but I am nuts. Like the, what, like we have the funniest times and I wish I had a videographer to like to catch those awkward moments that happen with me every single day of my life. Normally what happens as I've, I've, I've been a lot better at social media than I have recently. Like last year I was really good at it. Um, and I would just like pop up my phone and be like, all right, we're going to film a video and I'm not going to tell you what we're doing because I don't want you to know, but this is, we're going to film it and you're going to fix your turn, like hopefully. And so it's, it's normally just me doing my own thing, like putting up the phone. There is a video recently on my Instagram that I actually had one of my students film for me at the very end of class. And I was like, do you guys all want to be in the video? And they were like, yeah. And they made it so awkward. And so I was like, never again, am I going to do that? So learning. (laughs) (laughs) They're all like standing in like a fit position being like, do we like, do we laugh? Do we, do we clap? Like we're really confused. And so it's definitely not as organic as I think I I make it seem like I I definitely have to like get content sometimes if it's on a convention Mm -hmm. setting, then it's um, a professional photographer, videographer filming me, which is always great because I don't have to do any of the work. But anytime that you see me like in a studio, it's very rare that those moments are like candid moments in the middle of my class. They're normally like in a private or after the class, making sure they actually know what they're doing before I put it on my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Victoria. Haley. I live in a small town, so it's like nothing like your situation, but I really have no option but to like move outside of home for like dance and stuff. I wanted to hear about like what it was like moving away from your parents, especially at such a young age and like just kind of how it felt for you. Yeah. I had a really interesting relationship with my mom growing up. So for me, when I moved, I was really excited. I was also really excited to live in an apartment. I don't know why. Don't, I don't, I like, again, it was like a weird situation. I only ever had lived in my house and my parents still have the same house that I grew up in. And so when I got to move into an apartment, I was just like stoked. Like, I was like, this is so cool. I get to decorate my room. I get to like make an older kid room. And I was just really excited to have those like milestones. Moving is scary. Moving it sucks. I will say this. I just moved into a new apartment uh, recently. And so that 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 was not fun. So if you're going to move, just make sure you're prepared to have movers. That's my number one thing I would tell you. <laughs> but on top of that, I think that moving is really exciting because you, you're getting this new beginning. So yes, you're leaving things behind, but there's so much more to come. And again, nothing is permanent. Like, I think that's a huge thing to express. And I remember feeling like everything I did as a kid, no matter what decision it was, what I said online, what I, what everything felt really permanent. And I just remember now, like looking back, like, I don't feel that way anymore. I moved from San Diego to Orange County two years ago, and it was the best decision ever. 
I ended up moving out here for a job. And then six months later, I quit that job and I was in a lease for a year. And so I had no job for a while. And I was just like panicking, just like financially. I was like, I don't know how to make this work. And I have too much pride to go to my parents. So I was like, all right, we're going to figure this out. And now I have all my amazing jobs that I'm, and I'm really happy with. So now I'm on tour doing conventions. Now I'm on, you know, working at these studios that I really do feel appreciated. And I don't think I would have had those experiences if I hadn't either a quit that job that brought me out here or B stayed out here. Cause there was a moment in time where I was like, things are really hard right now. I think I should move home and break my lease. And I'm so glad I didn't. So stuck um, it out. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I just think that sometimes you got to stick it out. And I do think that the initial, like the initial, like wanting to move is really hard, but once you're in that place, it's so exciting and so fun. And I really hope you get to do it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Haley. All right. Last question before we wrap it up. Kiana, where did you go? There you are. Let's unmute uh, yourself. What's your question? Hi, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know you talked a lot about your struggles in the industry like before and how it affected you. And I'm guessing like it's still like it still affects like life today, probably in some way. So I was wondering, like, what are some things that you do now that help you stay in like a good headspace like mentally that's a really good question I I think I'm still figuring out that if I'm being completely honest I'm still figuring out what kind of routine that's going to be for me I do think this is going to sound really cheesy and I don't mean it to but it's just how I can put it being a teacher has really fulfilled me in a in a sense of like I feel like I'm healing my inner child teaching kids because mm-hmm. I never want a kid to feel the way I did growing up and I never want a kid to go through what I went through in the dance world. And I believe that through and through. And so I've gotten to have a really special relationship with a lot of my kids, especially my assistant, Charlie. Yeah. I just think that that, that has been really healing for me. And so again, teaching has been a really fun space, but I also think it's because teaching has given me a space to think of dance in a really positive way that I couldn't before. Like after I came home from Arizona, I didn't step foot in a dance studio for three years. And I didn't want to. And I had like really bad PTSD. And I I sometimes like when I go into ballet class now, I still feel that way. And Mm -hmm. it's I actually I took um, an adult ballet class recently with a friend who had never taken ballet in her life. And that was so much fun. And I remember leaving being like, that was the most positive experience I've had. So now I can associate it with a positive memory. And so creating new memories and kind of getting, being a little bit more brave in the sense of like pushing myself to do things outside my comfort zone has been really great. I think taking much time, like much needed time for myself. Like I think as a, as a kid, I never really had much freedom or much balance in my life. So when I stepped away from all that kind of craziness and madness, like really taking matters into my own hand, doing the things that I, I find enjoyable, like reading books or watching TV. I love TV. Like I love Netflix. I'm just kind of a catch potato. I love my cats, you know? So those simple human things that I don't like, I never really got to do as a kid are so crucial and so important to me now. And I'm still trying to figure out balance between work and life just because my schedule's nuts. But I think having my own freedom and being like my own human um, without having like the noise of all that has really helped me too. And I think that a lot of that is just growing up. I remember being like 16, like, I, I think like 13 through 18 were like really rough years in the sense of like finding my identity without dance. And then also with dance again, was a really interesting time. 
And so finding and navigating those kind of years has taught me so much about myself and like what I need to do. So taking time for yourself. If you train a lot, which I'm sure you guys all do, I know how it feels when you're like, I'm just so tired and I don't want to go to class. Push yourself to go to class, but then also make sure that you have time for yourself at the end of the day. Like give yourself some time to do the things that you love because you're not going to get those experiences back. And so that's, that's, I think what I've learned the most through that, those experiences. Thank you. The importance of Mm self-care. Thanks so much, Kiana, for your question. All right. Before we sign off, I have a fun little video that I found online that I wanted to share with all of you. I might not watch it. Just FYI. Just because my, my, my voice is really squeaky in it. So. Well, I'm not, like, I'm not going to do the whole uh, interview part. I'm just going to show the, the uh, crazy the pirouettes. Yes. So, okay. as you may know, she is the Guinness Book World Record holder for the most consecutive pirouettes. But there was a new category that she also set the record for. And she did it live on the Ricky Lake show when she was really young. And I found the clip and I just thought it was super cool. So I wanted to share that with you guys. records and world record holders. Our next guest has been dancing since the age of two. And when she takes a spin around the dance floor, she takes a spin around the dance floor. Please welcome Sophia. Hi, honey. Great to meet you. Thank you for being here. Yes, you definitely look like a dancer. When did you realize that you love to dance? My cousins, she owns my dance studio. And ever since then, I've loved it when the first time she took me to my dance lessons. And you're really good at dance. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, how did you know that you were really so good that you could actually break a world record? Well, one day at the my dance studio, my tap teacher wanted to see how many pirouettes I could do because I could do, like, 19, 20 pirouettes consistently. And Does anyone know how to do a pirouette? They are hard to do 19 <laughs> or 20 without even trying. Yeah. Well, so when I when I when she started videotaping, we just started videotaping every single lesson and all of a sudden it just happened. <laughs> Unbelievable. You have the cutest voice ever. Um, and you dance, I understand, 35 hours a week. So yeah. you really practice this. Okay, you just broke the Guinness World Record for pirouettes. What was that record? The record was 36, and my record, I believe, was 54 in passe. So that's, that's amazing. So how does it feel? How does it feel to know that you are the best in the world at what you do? It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, we want to have Sophia try to set another record, so let's bring in Dan from recordsetter.com into this. Thank you, Dan. Okay, so what record can Sophia try to break here? Sure, so she's going to be doing a brand new category on Record Setter, which is the most consecutive pirouettes, and she can be in any position, so she can change positions during the record attempt. Okay, so she's setting the record, so really she's not breaking someone's existing record. Right, this will be a brand new category, which is the spirit of how Record Setter works, and then we'll post that video and other people will potentially try and challenge her. Are you nervous? Yeah. You are? Don't be nervous. She can do it, right? We know she can do it. Are you ready? All right. Let's see what you can do, Sophia. Okay. Oh, you do it barefoot. Got it. One shoe. Okay. Oh, my gosh.
I'm freaking out right now. That was hard to count, but I, I'm quite sure we'll look back at the video. 58 pirouettes, a brand new record set of world record. Oh, that is awesome. That is amazing. Awesome. So what does she win? What does she win? Uh, this is just a world record patch. Uh, a world record patch. I think she should get even a little bit more than that. Oh, what? <laughs> so weird. So weird to watch yourself. So amazing, like mind blown. If you love that, put a one in the chat. If that was just like crazy mind blowing, like the control, the effortless, you were just, just kept. <laughs> Wait, do you know how, do you know how many that was? Cause I really don't remember. But yeah, he said 58 based on what his like counter said. Counter says, yeah. Uh, 58 so, they have to rewatch it but uh, i couldn't even keep track like i was trying to keep i was like i whatever no it <laughs> is really difficult if you could hear the sound it's like it clicks it's really loud and i yeah. was just anytime i would break the guinness World record and train for it it was in dead silence and so the day ah. of the actual guinness World record was really scary and they had a camera by my feet so i couldn't travel and i like i can't i, I can't help it i'm doing 55 turns so I, like it, it's the zero traction too so there was a camera here and then there was a guy, there's the Guinness record guy with the clicker. That's and they so panned loud. up, right? They went, yeah. yeah, I saw that video too. And they're so loud. And I remember being like, I'm not going to be able to do it. Like I, this, like, this is going to ruin the, the sound. And I was like being such a princess that day. I remember being like panicked about it. And I only had three tries. And if I didn't break the world, like the, the world record car competition had sponsored. And it's like $20,000 to bring out Guinness record from London. Oh, so wow. There's a lot of yeah, there was a lot of stakes. There was a lot of things. No pressure, uh, none at all. <laughs> yeah, and then I had about, I think like 600 people came. So they were in the other room. And then we had about 300,000 people on a live stream. So I remember like my brother was so, so annoying because he was running the live stream and he told me how many people were on it right before I broke it. And I was like, don't do that. But after they do, after they film that video, because they had to film it in video in separate different angles. And they had to put it on a television because I had three tries and they did this between every single try and they slow it down. They put it in slow-mo and he clicks it every time the head goes to the front. So in the video, the official video, not that like Ricky Lake video, but in <laughs> the Guinness World Record video, I actually did 56 turns, but because of the rules, my posse came disconnected on number 56. And so it was 55. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Mm -hmm. They were that technical about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mm -hmm. saw the Guinness video as well. I didn't, I didn't realize the detail of that, but uh, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, before we sign off, I know we went way over, but uh, this is just all so good. Any final words, any final words of advice to give these young growing dancers that wish to pursue what you have done in their lifetime? What would you say to them? I would say, don't be afraid to be the worst one in the room. It is a magical thing to feel like you're the worst one in the room and take class with amazing people. It feels so much fire underneath you and it pushes you so much. Don't let that defeat you. Let that, that, that let that fuel you. That's kind of how I was as a kid. And I think that really helped me and still to this day it does. And don't be afraid to get, to get outside of your comfort zone. I think as dancers, we get really comfortable with certain styles that we really feel are like our home base 
And if there's anything that I've learned, I trained in a lot of different styles equally, but hip hop is the only one that I didn't really tackle. And that is the only style I wish I could do now. So if I was you, I would try to train equally in every single style as much as you can. And even if you don't like it, stick with it because it's important. Being diverse is such a, um, a crazy skill to have. A lot of dancers are only good at one thing and one thing only. And so it's a really good thing to be able to be like a jack of all trades. That's so true. And it's so funny that you say you wish that you did a little bit more hip hop training because that was the exact same thing that Alex Wong said to us when we brought him in. He was like, because I've known him since he was a competition kid. He used to take my class at the convention and we're from the same city. And he goes, yeah, I wish I would have done more hip hop because he like you did the ballet thing as well. And he was also a tapper. He was a jazz tap kid when I first met him Mm -hmm. as as a competitive dancer. And then now he's doing all the hip hop stuff. And he's like, I didn't even train for this stuff. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. My boyfriend's a hip hop dancer, but he's like a true and true hip. Like he's true and true hip hop, but he's not like commercial hip hop. Right. It's just kind of like jazz line. line. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being like, I can hip hop. And he was like, yeah, come to my class. I bet you, you can't. (laughs) And I can't. So um, I've had private lessons and with him and everything else. And it's so humbling. And I like the way that they move is so important. And it, it honestly, like if you could just do ballet and hip hop, you would be like insane because it's the two things that you really do need. Like hip hop teaches you so many things. So the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. They're completely opposite and they do require a different technique and skill set. There is a technique to hip hop. That's the big mistake that people think they're like, oh, ballet yeah. is technique. Yes. There's a technique to ballet, but there's yeah. also a technique to hip hop and they're there's completely opposite. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a, a technique, there's a technique for yeah, every style of dance, yep. but, but ballet and hip hop specifically, they're so polar opposite that if you can master both of them, then you could probably do a little bit of everything. Everything. So, I know um, for, I know for me, like I was such a technical dancer and right. that was the only thing I did, but I always got like the comments of like your movement quality is, is lacking or your textures are lacking. And I swear if I had taken more hip hop, my textures, my levels, everything that I always struggled with in like jazz and contemporary, contemporary, especially and lyrical would be like salt. So mm. hip hop is insane. And I love watching it. Every time I watch my boyfriend dance, I'm like, I, I, I wish I could do this thing. I wish I could do it. I wish I could <laughs> hang. I went to a monsters of hip hop, which is like a huge convention for the hip hop world. I don't know if yep. you guys know what it is, but yep. he went, he just got cast nominee, which is like his like life goal. Anyway, nice. I went and I just watched and I hated the fact that I just watched. I wanted to go inside class, but I wanted to not have to look like a fool. So I was like, uh. <laughs> No, no um, pressure, right? All eyeballs will be on you. Yeah, hip hop class. I know. It's it's yeah. But anyway, that would be that. Would, those would be my final words. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time, your energy, your honesty, and your transparency. It was really really nice to chat with you, dancers. Let's give Sophia big hearts. Big thank hearts, you guys. Big hearts. Nice to meet you all. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And Hopefully I have uh, you in one of my classes one day. That'd be really cool. There you go. And then you can reconnect. And remember, we talked about relationships. And so you can say, hey, I met you already through Menina's Business of Dance. Boom. And then you make that connection because everything is all about who you know and who knows you, right? Yep. Sophia? All right, yes. guys. Well, thank you so much. We are signing off. Here's thank you plan. guys so much. Thank you. you. Bye.
And that concludes another episode of the Business of Dance podcast. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and gained valuable knowledge. Be sure to join us next time for more inspiring interviews with top professionals in the dance industry. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the Business of Dance on your favorite platform and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by the Business of Dance online mentorship program to help aspiring professional dancers create their dream dance careers. Thank you for listening. Until next time.